Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 1990s King of New York versus 2013's Captain Phillips. Keenan, how are we doing today? Yeah, all right, mate. How are you? Not bad at all, not bad at all. Nearly Friday, so uh, it's getting yeah, Friday. closer. No news of the week this week. But what I do have is a variation of the IMDb game for you. Okay. Just run you through the theme and then we'll get straight into it. No need to explain the rules. Well, other than which film has the higher IMDb rating. Mm -hmm. This week, though, much like the matchup, it is Christopher Walken versus Tom Hanks, a film from each. And we're going to kick off with a favourite of the podcast, 1993's True Romance versus 2002's Catch Me If You Can, which also has Walken in there. Um, Jesus. Uh, True Romance. True Romance is a 7.9. Catch Me If You Can is an 8.1. 8.1. Yeah, oh, good to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. 1994's Pulp Fiction versus 1998's Saving Private Ryan. Uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. Correct. 8.9 to 8.6. Yeah. 1978's The Deer Hunter versus 2000's Castaway. Castaway. Deer Hunter, 8.1 to a 7.8. That felt like the right answer as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, this week, I would say not to overthink them is probably the way looking at them. Uh, Man on Fire versus Toy Story 2. Toy, Toy Story 2? Yeah, 7.9 to a 7.7. And the film, film yeah, yeah, definitely. I need to rewatch that. Um, and one we've done recently, 2012 Seven Psychopaths versus The Terminal. The terminal. Yeah, 7.4 to a 7.1. Unfortunately, for as good of a career as Christopher Walken has had, Tom Hanks is just like back to back to back to back. The terminal. Have you you ever watched the terminal? No, no. People love it. Would you believe? It wasn't for me. I mean, the synopsis of a bloke that's just in an airport wasn't yeah, doing a lot for me. No, no, I get that. I, I get that, mate. Which I really do. Um, there's a little bit more to it, but it's not. There's out of those films you've just listed, listed it would be towards the bottom of my my list of preference. I've actually not seen Castaway either, other than the obvious part. Um, I I saw it probably about 15 years ago, and then I've not seen it since. Anyway, we will kick off today with Christopher Walken and the King of New York. 
Frank White is a free man. How come you never came to see me? We wanted to see you in a cage, man. He served his time. What can we expect from the reformed Frank White? I want to be mayor. But some things don't change. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. King of New York. Expected to get away with killing all these people? I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. Rated R. A drug kingpin is released from prison and seeks to take total control of the criminal underworld in order to give back to the community. Keenan, if I can preface this by saying I struggled to get reviews from at the time, what Mm. do you think critics boldly think of it now? Uh, Middling, six out of ten. Because we'll get into it shortly but at the time this was hated yes oh yeah 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 so you keep coming back for the ugly sleazebag electricity and out of nowhere violence walking glides along it all without his feet ever touching the ground navigating the movie's mood swings with a dancer's grace that's actually a wonderful review glides along it i thought was perfect yeah i think that's that's genuinely brilliant very combining well Combining the gangster film with the rise of hip-hop in the late 1980s and the film carries itself unlike any crime film that had ever existed. King of New York's storyline is pretty one-note, but there's an energy and aura of fear lingering in every gritty composition. A hepped-up film about drugs that plays as if the filmmakers themselves kept a healthy supply of the stuff at hand. And finally, Walken is one of the few undeniably charismatic male villains of recent years. He can generate a snake-like charm that makes his worst characters the most memorable, and here he operates on pure style. I guess Christopher Walken is a good place to start here. Yeah. Give me a Walken dance in any film. Just have him sliding in the background of films like a Where's Wally and we could just pick him out and there's a dance in there because when I read here that almost nothing in this film is improvised. I don't know what descriptor they gave Walken to get that dance out of there. <laughs> you know, I, 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 we must have done this. You know, he's, he, he is a dancer. Yeah, we did the whole uh, Shebang Lion Tamer Mm-hmm. Elvis impersonator, <laughs> every just just some guy. Like oh, my love for Christopher Walken has not diminished over time. Um, hates hates being asked to dance in films. By the way, <laughs> well, th- this is kind of the first time we get the Christopher Walken that we now know. Do you think? The, well, you can go down the list. He's he's doing very specific roles of like a madman or like a straight villain or it's all like Batman and the deer hunter and things like that. This is one where he, his eccentricity really shines through hey, for the first time. He's pretty eccentric in deer on But is that not more, I can't think of the right word to explain what I'm saying here refined i was going to say but 
I guess he gets to let loose a bit more in this. Okay. I would argue that his character in Deer Hunter, if a large parts of the film, is the opposite of refined, considering he slinks away into an opium den and kills I know him. I'm I'm trying to say essentially the character left a bit less room for him to kind of do his own thing, but there we go. He he's got these amazing monologues in this film that mm-hmm. he's now known for. He's dancing one minute, he's unloading a gun, laughing the next minute. It's just pure gold from him the whole way through, right from the start in the first really extended period of seeing him. When he says, I must have been away for too long. My feelings are dead. I feel no remorse. It's a terrible thing. And he's smirking at the end of it. And I think you really, for the first 20 minutes, say, of the film, struggle to get a grip on exactly the kind of character he is. Yeah. Because he erratic is the wrong word, isn't it? Because he he is a very very specific he knows what he's doing he feels yeah, like he's yeah. very under control but it's just he snaps in and out of these bursts in just no time at all and i think it takes a bit of time for it to really be made clear because you see a guy usually you open up they're in prison it's not like de niro in cape fear mm. where this is the most evil man that could ever be leaving these prison these prison gates within 20 minutes or so they're really trying to tell us this is this is a good man or we want you to believe this is a good man despite the fact he deals in murder and drugs the offset that and say but he does want to build a hospital he wants to do all these things for the right reasons he's not yeah. the typical villain he's also not he's not a hero you'd say either he is the everyman who's just got the power to do bad for the good of him and what he thinks is everyone else uh, yeah fair point because it feels almost uncomfortable at the start when he links back up with his crew and you don't really know what way to take it so a lot of the criticism at the time is that this is a white man leading a black gang, an all-black gang. Yeah. I don't know if you've listened to it. This is one of Tarantino's favourite films. I did not know that. Uh, he's, he's done a rewatchables episode, Breaking It Down. It's like two and a half yeah. hours long. <laughs> of course it is. And not that you wouldn't know this already, I mean... He's very aware of the accusations that are labelled at him. Yeah. And he points out, look, critics hated this film. The the ordinary person didn't hate this film. I don't know if it works differently now, because a lot of the kind of fuss surrounding this was this premiered at the New York Film Festival and loads of members of the audience walked out, including the director's wife, when it was being screened. Um, they did a Q&A afterwards and the film was called An Abomination. Abel Ferrara was asked why he isn't giving all proceeds from this film to a drug rehab program, given how exploitative it is. 
right. at, a, at a second show in the next day. They're booed out of town. And Tarantino is effectively laughing when people say, well, it's effectively white critics being offended on behalf of black people. And Tarantino is just cracking up and he's going, that's, that's my favorite type of critic. My <laughs> my favorite type of critic. <laughs> I, t- I don't know. I mean, I wasn't, A, I wasn't in the, I wasn't in America in the 90s when the sort of the issues that, but I don't like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything in this that maybe we're in a different time and different films have been made and so on, but there's nothing in this that would make you want to jump out. Do you know what I mean? No, he he says it was around in an era of what were called exploitation films. Mm. But he says, if you looked at the viewership for this, it this this film was a largely black audience. Mm. And so it's not what it was being framed as. People were being told to be offended by it. Uh, we weren't there at the time, obviously, to know. Yeah how and why that, that that came around but it comes out like new jack city i think comes out the next year yeah even yeah. Even, even may have been like less than a year after so you'd have had do the right thing in 89 then you'd have had this different but it is different okay i will i will say um for the reasons you've just said about about the white man but you would have had spike lee doing do the right thing heralded as a rather significant moment for african-americans in the cinema um this new jack city because new jack city didn't get that criticism no new New jack city i guess it's because it's not a white man at the face no that's the what game. i mean but it, it, they when you're talking of exploitative and the drug drug rehabilitation nino brown and frank white share share a lot a, a lot of character traits well if if there was ever going to be a cosign for the film, Biggie Smalls for the next however many years is, is referring to himself as the Black Frank White. Yes, and he's name dropping the film and the mm-hmm. bad guys and everything in so many of his songs. Yeah, and this didn't get the wide release that New Jack City did. So I guess it was probably easier to take someone's word for it when they're saying all the things that are wrong with it because you didn't have the same scope yeah. to be able to go and see it yourself. Yeah. Uh, small budget this though, wouldn't it? Yeah, and it's also shot in such a way that it isn't your usual, is it? It is very quirky. Yes. There's there's a certain style to it, so it's almost um it's got like a blue tint to it in a lot of the evening scenes. Yeah. They this the I say a certain type of rain they use, but it's almost like that misty rain, isn't it, that you're constantly just walking through any time you want to get some like murky scene at night. Yeah. Yeah, it is odd that, look, because they, they, the comparison, I mean, the similarities, like the, from the top, from sort of the high end similarities between this and New Jack City, there is an awful lot of them. Hmm. If anything, there's probably less drug usage in this. Yeah. Um, and the, he is a drug dealer, and obviously goes to try, trying to buy, he's trying to buy Coke, and there's sort of talks of, talks of that, but. In reality, it's this is more about Frank White, whereas New Jack City, whilst it is about Nino Brown, but it is actually far more about far more about about dealing drugs. This is essentially framed as like a nineties Robin Hood film. 
like yeah he wants to be mayor wants to build a hospital i mean his big his big thing at the end is obviously i took i took him out because they were involved in human yeah. trafficking uh, trafficking and child prostitution i want i want him gone um what well, you we we speak and we've spoken frequently about the influx now of kind of the not a normal superhero film so much to the point where they are almost the normal superhero film yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, like Brightburn was kind of a great example. Um, this is supposed to be what like a Robin Hood film would be like in, in the present day at that moment. Like, if mm. you did it today, it would be some crypto guy probably defrauding rich people and feeding it back. He says here, you think ambushing me and some nightclub's going to stop what makes people take drugs. This country spends a hundred billion a year on getting high. And it's not because of me. All that time I was wasting in jail, it just got worse. I'm not your problem. I'm just a businessman. The the one quote that is probably the most famous in the film. No blackjack, no dope, no deals, no nothing. A nickel bag gets sold in the park. I want in. You guys got fat while everybody starved and now it's my turn. Hmm. The, the line in the jungle is quite famous from this. Yeah. It, he's great the, the whole way through it. It's... It's just he's a yeah, but he's he's one of them. He he is actually one of those actors that I think I've never seen him turn in a bad role. He's he's one of the all time greats, no doubt. He really I, is. He's just like this is a leading man. He's not a leading. He is a character actor. That is so reductive. I feel bad saying it, but those go through those films that you just listed out to me, and probably things that he's best well known for. He's not a lead man in any of them. He's not even close. Tarantino describes the films like that as his paying the bill roles. And he says, you can really look at the roles when you go down his career. Mm. And it's often the more obscure ones like this are the ones that he really just has a passion for. He is someone that loves cinema and everything Mm -hmm. that is all around it. And he said, there's a reason that he's in several of my films and it's, he includes true romance in that because it just works so well. He says, after seeing, um, Gangs of New York, he writes the Pulp Fiction speech for him. Mm. He has him in mind as he's writing that. Yeah, that's it. He's like, I mean, as people who deliver monologues go, he is, he's probably, he is up there, isn't he? Pacino is, Pacino's up there, but he does deliver some absolute, when you just stick a camera on his face, maybe it's because his face, face yeah. is so, I mean, most people have a unique, somewhat unique face, but I think it's his eyes. His eyes just just captivate the fuck out of you. He looks uh, it's not a nice way, a reasonable age in this, and then he just kind of freezes for the next however long. Mm. Uh, he looks the same way for, um, afterwards. Yeah, it's just it, like if you put a camera on his face and let him talk, you your eyes just don't go anywhere else. No, um, I thought um, the Robin Hood idea was interesting because we see a lot the bad guy that thinks he's a good guy. Like that's not uncommon in films no. um, where they say, look, I'm doing this to save you or whatever. And we do often look at that person then as being a madman. And we look at them as being deranged and losing it in whatever way you want to describe it. Yeah. In this, I don't think you look at him that way. He still does seem incredibly composed. He doesn't seem like he's getting ideas above his station. He doesn't ever look like it doesn't ever look like he's doing anything he shouldn't do in a world when he, where he very clearly is doing a lot of things that he shouldn't do. Like the most egregious thing we see him do is 
shoot the policemen and we'll get onto the way they're represented and the way they are represented is so much that we don't really feel bad when he does do that. No, no, they are. They, yeah, they are. It's, but as corrupt coppers go, they they are a good set. They are. And what I thought was interesting, just when I was looking through the rest of the cast in this film, I was trying to think, could anyone else have done this, this Christopher Walken role? Because there's no obvious casting, what if, that I've stumbled upon. I actually thought, could could Steve Buscemi do this? Like, he, he's not as charismatic. He'd probably have to be a bit weirder about it. Maybe what? it's just the look. Like, I was trying to think of the nearest match that could do this role. And once I thought Steve Buscemi, I couldn't get past that. No, I don't like Buscemi for this. I don't like anyone else for it, but I, that was the closest uh, match I could come to. No, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't like. I wouldn't like him for it at all. Um, I'd have him closer to his role in The Sopranos than like his far more eccentric roles. Yeah, I feel it. I get you. Um, don't know, but I think you're right. I'm not sure anyone else could do this. This is, I mean. I don't know, there are parts of this that genuinely just feel like someone's just given this as a vehicle for Christopher Walken to be Christopher Walken. Absolutely, but then at the same time, one of the reasons that the film is so good and the film stands up in the way it does today is Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne is mint. And I also like, ne- Car- I like David Caruso in this as well. We'll, we'll get on to him. But yeah. Fishburne, this was never supposed to be his role. No? James Russo turned down the role of Jimmy Jump. Fishburne had already been cast as Thomas Flanagan, the role that Wesley Snipes gets. And he's persistently begging, even when the role is with Russo, he's begging the director to let him play this part. And he's begging and begging and begging. He finally gives him an audition and he just turns up looking exactly as he does in the film. Mm -hmm. He didn't even audition him. He just gave him the role there and then. And something that I, I hope you don't know this already, mm. one of those kind of turns of events that just changes the whole like future of uh, their careers. Mm. Tarantino wrote the role of Jules in Pulp Fiction for Lawrence Fishburne after seeing King of New York. He liked it that much. Yeah, I know. So he says that he really liked the role, but his new agency advised him to turn it down. Um, yeah. He was stuck as a good supporting role guy and he was holding out for a lead. Samuel L. Jackson's role was written also for Lawrence Fishburne in Die Hard 3. Didn't know that. So they have a long, drawn-out negotiation period where they say that Fishburne's asking for too much money. Yeah. And right when it's coming down to the deadline where he's saying, there's no one else that can do this. There's no one else that can, there's no one else they can turn to. He's asking for a million dollars. Yeah. Andy Vajner, interesting name. Um, mm goes to the Cannes Film Festival right before they have to make a decision where he's supporting Bruce Willis in 94. Pulp Fiction is shown at Cannes Film Festival. He sees Samuel L. Jackson's performance, immediately he sees there's another guy that can do this job. Yeah. He turns to him, Fishburne misses out. Fishburne actually sues and he gets a payout, I think, of probably three quarters of the amount that he would have got for actually doing the role anyway. Nice. He takes it down. He's got Bruce Willis in court saying that he was part of a meeting where he was verbally offered the job. Okay. But Samuel L. Jackson gets the role. The film grosses, what, like 
three hundred million dollars or something mental like that. Yeah, Fishburne misses out then on two huge parts. If he'd taken the role in Pulp, then Samuel L. Jackson never gets the role in Die Hard, so that changes. Yeah, fortunately, this little film called The Matrix comes around that Fishburne can get cast in, and that probably softens the blow a little bit. I did read somewhere that, um, about Tarantino that he just really, really, really wanted to work with Lawrence Fishburne. He said that, because he speaks about him a lot on this podcast, it's, in true Tarantino fashion, he, he speaks a lot on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> there are yeah. very yeah. few people getting a word in. Um, but yeah, he, he says in there, after seeing King of New York, he said, this isn't a Christopher Walken film, this is a Lawrence Fishburne film. I disagree. He actually calls him Larry Fishburne the whole way through as well. My name was Lawrence. I think I'd want to be a Larry. Well, it depends who's calling you, I imagine. Tarantino, Mm. you'd probably accept it. I mean, he could call me anything he wanted. (laughs) But John McTiernan, who directs Die Hard, yeah, he says they wanted a younger Lawrence Fishburne for the role of Al Powell in Die Hard 1. <laughs> so all these things is just mad how these things come together. It is, but I'm sure when he looks back on it, he'll think I've done all right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's uh, got four Matrixes and two John Wicks under his belt. Plus, They didn't, they didn't invite him back for the, the last uh, Matrix, did they? Did they not? No, the most recent one he's not in. Oh, I did not know. And I don't believe he got a reason as to why that was the case. That's got a stink. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, him and and Keanu Reeves still seem fairly tight because they must be somewhat palatable because they've made the three Matrixes and then he's in in John Wick 2 and 3. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know... uh... What about it? But yeah, I just mm. know he wasn't in it. 1990, I thought was interesting for this film to come out in because it's coming out at a time when crime films, there's just so many huge ones. A like Godfather Part 3, if you ignore what comes, what kind of the responses afterwards, but the hype before Godfather 3 coming out, Goodfellas comes out the same year. Mm-hmm. And then to a lesser extent, you've got uh, internal affairs, you've got uh, Miller's Crossing, State film, of Grace. A film I very much want to see and I've never got round to. My only point is that this is very much a standout compared to something like Goodfellas that's pushing the boat in a different kind of way. It's kind of, I'm going to use the word conventional. I don't think God, Goodfellas is conventional in that way, but it's far less eccentric than than this. And this probably stands out even more when the level has been set so high. And you look at crime films, 90s crime films are about as good as they've ever been. Yeah. So this is just a really interesting kind of freckle along the way because Abel Ferrara, this is what people expected from him going in. And the parts that he has to use have only aged better as you go down. Like when you're having Steve Buscemi in the role he's in, Wesley Snipes obviously goes on from this to be insane. Christopher Walken's Christopher Walken. Fishburne goes the direction he does. Very good. And I wonder if that's the reason maybe it's kind of been so successful after the fact. I don't know 
maybe when watching it if you could define that if it feels like more of a tv movie than one you would go and see at the cinema i i, I don't know um or if it was just people were so put off by you would take critics word more because you had a handful of what five to ten critics plus your mate whether he'd seen it or not telling you what they thought of a film i I don't know. On paper, it looks like this would have been everything that I would have wanted to see in 1990, and a lot of others clearly didn't feel that way. No, no, I I, I agree. Um, I don't know. Like you say, maybe if they, I don't know. It's, it's all ifs and buts and maybes, but and it's very hard to put into words because this needs to happen as it does for for other things to happen that make these people the people they are. But if if you'd have transported this to, I don't know, even sort of ten years later, do you imagine the the, the buzz around it? Yes. Like you imagine you've got in ten in ten years you've got Fishburne, who was still Chris Walker, still Chris Walker. Steve Buscemi's a lot bigger. He's been in Con Air, etc. By then, Wesley Snipes has done just about fucking everything he's ever going to be in. Yeah. He's done Blade. I'm pretty sure by two thousand he's done the first Blade. He's yeah. been in Passenger Fifty Seven. And so Repo Man, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Um, and you sort of take that that cast, you would have made. Just feels like the right film. It definitely feels like the right film, just the wrong time. I don't have an answer to this, so I'm literally Which asking you. Do you think but, controversy sold differently? I guess before the age of the internet. No, 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 no. Controversy has always, controversy has always been one of the greatest marketing tools ever. So, would people you think still have been willing to take a risk for what they've heard? People walking out of cinemas and this and that. But what was the marketing budget for it? Because it has to I, happen. People walking out and people going to see stuff like The Exorcist and so on, banning the so, film clock, Clockwork Orange. They work. Um, it works, but it has to be public. If there's no budget to this. Controversy, There's... controversy is controversy, but controversy in a in, in a vacuum or in a refined space, it doesn't doesn't matter. A so... controversy between just quickly, a controversy between you and I is one thing. A controversy between a thousand people is something entirely different. Well, it it was well publicised the response to this film at the New York Film Festival. The fact people are walking out, the fact that it's being called exploitative, and. The fact that it's happened twice in a row, people are getting booed after the films played. Mm. No, um, I, I don't think. I mean, I th- again, I think controversy is easier to spread, or once it's there, is easier to spread now. But I think that's the same as that. That's the same of of, of anything. There are far more outlets for it than there ever, ever was before. But I do think this isn't the first film that someone people have walked out at film festivals. No. Or, and... But that's almost my point because now. We hear that so much that you almost don't bat an eyelid if you hear something like that because yeah. it's coming in the form of like a lad Bible headline. You would not believe 10 people walked out of this screening or you would get the thing. There was a phase with horror films where they would tell yeah. you that someone like passed out during the film or they had mm-hmm. a panic attack or they were sick or, or something like this. You would get that same trailer that I've constantly referenced on here of. Um, the like night vision cameras of people like jumping yeah. up in their seats. And that was how you would kind of farm the controversy that way. I wondered if maybe 
because the controversy was there, but from what I've read and listened to, this wasn't distributed as much as the other films that I've referenced at the time. And so maybe the controversy, as you say, the controversy only works if you're able to back it up. If all you're hearing is the controversy, but you have no way of going to see it and kind of finding out for yourself, then you probably would just form the opinion of the film because I'll take these guys word for it. Well, that's it. Yeah, I do like it. it I do think it's it, and it, not even just in film, mate, in with books and so on. And so, like, over the years, play like, I mean, basically, but controversy was what uh, I once I read a read here a biography of Hugh Hefner and stuff once, and that was basically that was his thing. The magazine tried to, to they tried to do something before, um, and it was like it was just controversial. He was like, absolutely, as soon as I knew someone didn't like it, he was like, I knew I was in, yeah. um. You know, as you quite like the films, National Lampoon, exactly what happened as well at Harvard. I only I know the Christmas one. Okay, yeah, with the with the, mag- with the magazine, National Lampoon. It was controversial, the, then bang, it just went from there. Interesting. F- Fishburne in, in particular does, he's, he's all in here. If everything that we've said about walking is, is true for Fishburne in, in this film as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One Definitely. of my favourite parts in the film is actually um, when Jimmy's buying some chicken and he gives out that massive order. Thoughts on tartar sauce, by the way? He's going in with the tartar sauce. Do you know what? I like it. Same. Big fan of tartar sauce. Um, well, I assume so because you order a fish fillet, you're free. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the fish fillet. Fillet fish, sorry. But, yeah, he he's getting ribs here. <laughs> he's getting chicken here. He's getting everything. Um, have you ever eaten tartar sauce with anything that isn't fish um i have to chips. i used i used to have it with chips yeah if i meant chips not included because that's the only thing i've ever really tried on is chips what yeah. can you see it can you see it i mean i can see it running quite well on chicken i don't know i guess there's too many other sauces that go well with chicken that like why would you risk spoiling your chicken and yeah it's a very good point there's not a lot that doesn't go well with chicken to be honest no. um yeah, one of the scenes in this when he racks up a, a $59 order on barbecue mm. and the guy behind the, the till is telling the kids to get away from the machines because they don't have the money to play with it. <laughs> and he goes and gives them the money and he goes over and gives their their mother, telling uh, gives her some more money to pay for the meal. And it's all these things that, even for him, who's supposed to be like the complete opposite of Walken in terms of his recklessness, yeah, they're still just trying to say he's not a bad guy. He's just a bad guy. Yeah, and they yeah. just drop these these little things in there. I mean, one of the coldest lines in the film is um, when Jump says, "I want to know I'm selling drugs to you." Know what I mean? Joey says, "You don't sell drugs; you shoot people." And he says, "I'm unemployed. There's nobody left." <laughs> yeah it's meant to be fair his delivery of it is bang on as yeah. well it? it's a very it's a line that I there are a few we talked about you, you want someone else to do it Lawrence Fishburne his way of delivering stuff of delivering like certain like delivering his lines is so everything he does is like matter of fact and it like you're right it just makes it makes lines like that just hit so much harder because he doesn't he's not overplaying that he, he, he doesn't overplay he doesn't go big with it which he, he could he just just rolls it rolls off his tongue doesn't it 
Yeah, and he says everything like he's saying it through a smirk in this film as well, which is all you need really to add into the kind of sadistic bad guy thing without making them uh, like a caricature or whatever. Yeah. And his character only works if the police work in the way they do. And they do a, a fantastic job early of framing White as the hero with just how dislikable the police are. The police <laughs> are saying all of the right things. Look, I want to get these guys off the street. My job is to protect people. Look, he's back out. He's going to do his own thing again. He's selling drugs. All of this. And yet the delivery and the way they say it and the way they go about it, they somehow manage to turn you on the people that are trying to get the drugs and the criminals off the street. Yeah. It's very well done. Um, but you do a lot of it by make, just making Frank White smile a lot but like, yeah. he's just he's, he's like he's just laughing and chuckling at half points through this film and regardless of whatever sort of whatever however much of a psychopath he might be it just it works and then david crusoe is as over the top as fishburne mm. is on the other side yes that just levels things out nicely because at this point you're effectively you're putting fishburne against Caruso and then Frank White is just above this like he's doing his own thing here these two are leveling each other out and then he's able to kind of be away from that yes yeah I get it because so much of the conflict is just between those two yeah. and then Frank only gets involved really when he has to yeah which is how you imagine it would be what's he do he hits back doesn't he when he gets picked up for the first time and then Snipes puts hands on him, and he's got like a six-piece combo just waiting for him. Yeah. Other than that, he really... And he makes this point that he's not going to cause no trouble unless anyone brings the trouble to him. And when people do bring trouble to him, then he acts very definitively. I was going to say, it's all, be all better offer. Yeah. Which is a... It's it's almost like a character trope, mate. Yeah, that that type of that type of villain or that type of character has been done so many times, isn't it? Just yeah. with ruth, ruthless efficiency. What do you think about Caruso in this? Like him. I and I think I like it because the only other thing I'm sure he's really, I'm, I imagine he's really famous, but the only other thing I know him from is CSI Miami. I I don't want to keep just referring back to someone else's podcast but Tarantino's not a fan no he says he is someone that forever believed themselves to be bigger in the business than they were and better in the business than they were and that's probably why they, they've ended up being on CSI Miami for as long as they have been no that's fine he doesn't have to like him as a person but I think in the film I don't know what the, I don't know what the bloke's like, he, like in he, the... yeah he's critical of his performance in there as well Oh, is um, yeah. I quite like him. I think, like you say, <coughs> excuse me. I think the leveling between him and Fishburne is 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 is, is cool. Yeah. Um, and like I say, maybe the juxt the other juxtaposition of the fact that I know him as cool, calm, and collected from the only other thing I've ever seen him in. It was quite enjoyable to watch him go wild and be over the top. I will say, as we were talking of chops and changes. If I was getting rid of someone, yep. 
if you said to me, Keen, look, we got a you get you get the chance, but you you to be involved, but you've got to give someone a chop. And it is obviously got to be someone who's got enough screen time to make it make a difference. Um he's yeah, he's my one who goes. Interesting. Because you you need Wesley Snipes or the replacement to then ramp up what they're doing. Yes. I uh, yeah. I mean I'd have to I'd have to think and try and find you a replacement I'd be happy with. I'm sure I could, but I'm you but, yeah. is cool. is he the worst best man ever? Uh, um <laughs> I I don't know. What he's literally necking the bride and then pushes her off when the groom comes over and he says something like, I'm just joking, man. <laughs> and then just struts away like what what's he so annoyed about? Yeah. Um know, Pesha and Casino, I'm pretty sure he ends up being the best man at that wedding. And then he does try and kill him with a car bomb. <laughs> But at least for the time of the wedding. Okay, sorry. Yeah, he's kissing the bride at the yeah. wedding. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, very possibly. What do you think about Victor Argo as Roy? Because he he's ultimately his his calmness is to echo Walken, isn't it? Like that's his adversary. Yes. Um... I like him again in this. I don't. I really don't have much of an a problem. Like, there's no, there's nothing really about the casting in this. Like I say, it would be Caruso if I had to, but that's not to say. Oh, it, it's like he would. He's got to go. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't. Um, Victor Argo. I could not. I was just watching this. I could not. I couldn't think where I knew him from. Um, it just looked he looked familiar. It's annoying me, but, but, he, but he's he's in uh, he's in True Romance for a little bit, isn't he? Sounds right. He was in Law and Order, Coyote Ugly. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that means anything to me. No, I'm just going through his IMDb just to see if anything's still out. True he Romance is... might be it. Yeah, it just looked familiar. It, may, it might even be Law and Order, mate, to be honest. I, I have seen a fair few episodes of it. After Hours? No, he's only a cashier in that. No. Not sure. But the the point with him is the way they frame the police and Frank's gang in this, it's, it's almost like uh, if you're picking faces for like a football match at school, where you are just matching everyone up. As we say, you've got Fishburne and Caruso, then you've got Walken and uh, Argo, and you're just going down the list, so you've just got a completely even match the whole way through. Mm. And that probably helps to not make you hate the guys that are running around killing people and wrecking the place. We'd seen um, Giancarlo Esposito in there as well, by the way, outside of being uh, Gus Fring. Early role for him, isn't it? Yeah, he's now still campaigning that he wants to be um, Professor X. I can see that. So he wants to be a good guy for a change. Yeah, I was just going to say, he's just 
just makes a phenomenal villain. Yeah, he's probably getting that Magneto casting, if anything, isn't he? Yeah, he just makes a very, very good villain. I actually watched... Um, I've watched the first episode of it. He's done something on Netflix called Kaleidoscope. TK was saying about that. I've watched the sort of first episode. I've watched a little bit of the second The thing one. is that you can watch it in any order, isn't it, supposedly? I didn't know. I didn't know yeah. that. I think the supposed part of the program is that you can watch like three and then two and then one and then six or whatever. We can and it's supposed that, to still make sense. Surely that excludes the last one. I, I don't know. I've not watched it. I just know that that's kind of the selling point of, of this show, supposedly. I get, I understand the point when they call it Kaleidoscope, but um, but the old point is they're planning to rob someone. And at I've, some point, he's... Yeah, not a clue. At some point, he's going to have to rob something. And if I watch that one, I suppose, yeah, maybe. I mean, you do, depending on the action, you depend on the action, you do that first, and then you do it as a flashback to how you got there. Well, I wouldn't enjoy that as much. No, for a number of the scenes, um, the production avoided shooting on the streets, they say, as much as possible. Um, and because of the drought at the time, the director used sprayers and hoses um, in order to, to better portray the city. And they do go all in with that. The shootout after the attempted heist, yeah. where you've got just a mixture of everything there, You've got the car chase scene. You've got Fishburn where he rips the mask off the police officer. <laughs> Walking is as good at driving as everything else. And then this kind of showdown between uh, Crusoe and Fishburn and Snipes. And the way he takes out Snipes just so menacingly. And then when he gets blown in the back and he's screaming on the floor while like <laughs> laughing hysterically and then screaming for him to be killed and then laughing that he's killed his partner. Great way to go out. Yeah, it doesn't go quietly into the night. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um then you move to the drive by at the funeral. Just just a bold move. Well that's one of the few bits to me because I don't know if I'm alone in this. I thought maybe one of the reasons it's not held up as high as others think it should be. I don't think they created tension too well in some of these scenes. Um, maybe because of the way it was shot, uh, maybe the soundtrack or whatever. I thought they created uneasiness quite well just because of the way all the characters were. But I didn't think it had you on the edge of your seat in the way of when like the police are breaking in to try and upend the whole operation. Um, it's quite quick, though, some of those scenes, aren't they? It's hard. Yeah, so that was it. I didn't think... So... It's, it's hard to... I don't know. It, it, it's hard to... It, it, sometimes sometimes when you when it's done quickly, I suppose it depends on what it is and, and how it's shot, but when you pace it quickly, you either bring people to the edge of their seat because it moves so fast and you don't you can't sort of take your eyes off it or you which it seems to have done for you you run the risk of because it's quick like you say there's no tension there's no time there's no time for expectation because it just happens no i'm not going to be if i was the director in that situation they've got the whole film shot and they're just saying look he's ill you need to come in and shoot this bit 
Yeah. I'm probably giving you a scene before of them ballying up, of them saying, you know, we've got to do this. I know this isn't the right thing to do, but we've got to get him off the street and probably overconfident in the way that Crusoe is and then heading down and then obviously just the way it all goes wrong and just even leading up into that. So like a five-minute stretch before you can get the music slowly building, something like that, because it's so sudden um, the way it's shot with the, the blue light and what well, you've got the two people on the bed on the like bed of Coke. Mm. And it's all just so quick. So it's entertaining. I'm not saying anything with that. It's just, I, I was never really worried for anyone's safety in that moment. No, no, I get, I get, I get what you mean. Like I say, it, if it's done, there are other instances where things are done quick. And edge of the seat, edge of the seat in a typical sense, like you say, is probably the wrong way to describe it, but captivates you fully and you what because it's fast and it's so snappy and you cut you are drawn into it. But no, I get your point with this. You are right. There is a lot of things that happen in this film and they just happen. Well, almost all of the actions like that. So right from yeah. the jump, uh, there's the guy in the phone box who's taken out. There is. Uh, then the deal inside where they're trying to exchange tampons for all the drugs and they say yeah. uh, for the bullet holes. Um, and then after that, you've got the uh, card game yeah. going down where he pisses on his shoes and then says, give him this message and walk and comes in and just kind of, that's the first time you really see that this guy really is the King of New York. When he takes out, like when he kills, uh, is it, Goes Clay and then kills the guy. Yeah, kills. takes him out. That's not even that. That's not even that protracted. It's your way shoots him about fifteen times on the deck and then says like to someone, "Do you want that to happen to you? If not, Plaza Hotel, I'll be there. Ask for Lo- me." Loves that Plaza Hotel, doesn't he? Yeah, you don't want to get on the subway with him because yeah. either way, you get fucked. Yeah, confirmed. The ending. I, I wonder what you think of this i i was speaking to tk about the film last night because he's a big fan of it mm. and i said probably what takes me away from ranking it at a slightly higher level is the ending in the way it kind of fizzles out a little i felt and then he asked as you would well how would you have ended it and i said well this is the issue i don't really know the alternative I think the fizzle out is the best way this can end. I was also going to ask you the question, how yeah. would you end it? Yeah, it's, so that's Frank, the thing. This may be the best the best ending. I think so. I like the ending. Takes the bullet, does what he's got to do, dies peacefully in the cab. Does it take away from Frank's character if he was to get out of the cab one last stand like Denzel in Training Day? Is this him going on his own terms? That's what that's sort of what it was to me. Was it's so frantic? It's so frantic for so long, and then it just drops. He just he just takes it and drops it to his own pace at the end. Or I'd have liked um, if you could have given me a shot of kind of 
if say the opening of the film because you do get and we as we've referenced before the kind of call of duty middle between scenes where you're in the car and you're just looking left and right across new york and you're seeing this rundown place and you're seeing just how bad it is and what they need someone to come in and fix yeah maybe if at the end i could have seen what he'd managed to achieve if he'd gone out in the way that he does but you show me the hospitals all up and running nicely you maybe show me something else and there's someone that says you know courtesy of frank white or some something just to show me even if it's someone in a street like you know that was the uh, he was the king of new york or something like that it may have been really cheesy if they'd been done like that i don't know i think it would have been not to be horrible i i I get you. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I understand your point, but or even at the start, um, when they take the guy in the phone box and they say, "Read this," and on the front it says like Frank White back on the streets or something. Yeah. If you give me a shot of the newspaper or something, and it was like King of New York, Frank White dead at whatever, that would have been a cool way to end it. I felt I just needed a little something else, but then as you say, I still, I have potential issues with each of those possible endings so that they know better than I do. Hmm. No, I do. I do. I mean, it's for, for all that I like about this film, um, and there is an awful lot I like about this film, I do, do, I do like the ending. Well, I just looked at my notes again and him getting tickled after he does the dance is just one of the most bizarre films, bizarre moments in the entire film. Again, right back to the first point you made. Apparently, like, for, for a film with such little improvisation, there is just some random shit that happens, isn't there? So uh, they say very little. So some of it may have been, but it's one of those where the director and screenwriter say, I've spent five years on this. You're <laughs> you're delivering what I've written down on this page. We've uh, we've spoken, I'd say, over our time making pods together. We've referenced and spoken about improv for thirty to forty times, probably. And we've also heard Walken's great at it. Yes, yeah, we we, we have. Um, and for my or for all my love of improvisation and some of my favourite scenes have turned out to be improvised and it's always fun to know when that's the case. If I were a screenwriter or a director, yeah, I know full well that that would be my attitude. I've spent X amount of time on this. You are putting my vision out there, and I think I'd be a bit of a dick if I was a director. <laughs> yeah. I really do. I think mean, there would be a lot of stories about how oh, I'm not good to work with. Some of the most famous ones are like that. To be fair. Mm. But shall we move on to our second film of yes. today? That is Captain Phillips. We are an unarmed freighter. We have a potential piracy situation. Chances are it's just fishermen. They're not here to fish. Look at me. I'm the captain now. I want $10 million. Don't get in there. We gotta get him off the ship. We're deploying a SEAL team. The Navy is not going to let you win. They would rather sink this boat. Captain Phillips, can you hear me? Captain Phillips, can you hear me? Rated PG-13.
the true story of Captain Richard Phillips and the 2009 hijacking by Somali pirates of the US-flagged MV Maersk, Alabama, the first American cargo ship to be hijacked in 200 years. Keenan, critics' reviews, what do you think? Seven and a half out of ten. Greengrass puts you through the trauma and leaves you almost as shaken as the film's protagonist when it's over. Captain Phillips is a great adult-oriented thriller that has a wonderful sense of tension and a career-best Tom Hanks performance. You owe it to yourself to see this. <laughs> That's not true. If it's not overall, I think there's a certain scene in this that's up there with anything he's ever done. I, I, I will disagree with anyone that this is his best performance. You, that... Oh, we're going to get to the scene in particular. Yeah, that no, that ending scene not do anything for you. I uh, I actually like the scene prior to the ending when he's in the, when they're in the lifeboat more. Okay, I've got a bit of info on that ending scene, but we we were in different places last night watching that. Um, a terrifically tense thriller that is worth the price of a full seat, even though you'll only use the edge. There's too much waiting and overly dramatic reflection, but the film does finish with a thrilling flourish and the details of the cat and mouse games at sea are quite riveting. Even though the ending is well known, the suspense is tangible, made through expert craftsmanship and authentic acting. Speaking of authentic acting, the first thing I want to talk about is the opening scene. and. It's one of the worst scenes I've mm. ever seen <laughs> in a film of this caliber. <laughs> I didn't think you'd like it. What the? I understand you're ticking the boxes here. Family man, mm -hmm. worried about his kids. Yeah, everyday guy. He's done this so many times before when he's saying, look, you'd think it'd get easier after all this time, blah, blah, blah. It's so wooden. It's like you're in one second telling us that they're a really close family, and then the next minute he's going, you know, I'm worried about our kids. <laughs> what? What? You know, he's not going to school. I've got to feel this would have come up sooner. You'd like to think so, yeah. Now, the original cut did feature additional scenes with Catherine Keener. Um, her character discovering her husband's ordeal as it happened and subsequently dealing with the press intrusion, the efforts to rescue him. And it was just decided in editing that the subplot pulled focus from the central scenario on the ship and it was better to stick and keep with the tension they'd already generated. I think I would have quite liked that. Well, Paul Greengrass says he debated even just cutting the, the opening scene and just all of the land-based scenes altogether. But... He kept one effectively because she'd put in work on the film and he didn't want to cut her out completely. I think I both so both of the alternatives you've just offered are better than what we get. <laughs> so he's picked the worst of the three options. Yeah, it's so you seem it... to make because for, let let's be honest. After so he speaks to her, sends an email after the first attack. Yeah, 
for, for the family have barely referenced for the rest of it. So the rest, those scene, the scene, the opening scene as is, just becomes an irrelevancy. Um, whereas if there is something, even uh, the problem is, you I was going to say ninety seconds, but that's not true. You need, you would need a, you probably need her to have another ten. No. Four sort of four four to eight minutes for I, it to, to really need. Go yeah, on. because I can tell you the the way if you're going to cut that opening scene out and you still want to know that he has a family, you get on the boat, you have this opening scene, it's a new captain, and you say first time, and he says, "Yeah, you got a family? Oh, I've got a baby girl or something. You know, wife and two kids to me it never gets any easier." And that's that's the way it's gone about it. With with this, we've seen a film that we've done in a separate bracket where we've seen the back and forth executed very well, and Everest would be the example I would use there. But the, the difference, I would say, is that it's very short. Um, we don't have any background on them as a family, and we've got these little 90-second cuts back and forth where it's effectively Kira Knightley on the edge of a walkie-talkie. Yeah with how this sounds when they're talking about the intrusion of the press and how they're dealing with it, I do wonder if either that was going to be tagged at the end with some of it or it was going to be in the middle because I can't imagine those scenes when they're on the lifeboat at the end, you cutting out and I'm expected to feel sorry for his wife for having to answer the press <laughs> in comparison to him on a boat with yeah, three yeah. Somalian pirates. Yeah, no, I'm with you. No, I get what you mean. So yes, yeah. When I say four to eight minutes, I don't mean I want. I necessarily want a four to eight minute scene. No, no. I mean screen time, and I think if I was going to do it, that's the way you've just described. Everest was probably what I would have been aiming for. Just as news breaks, bang bang. Can there be a phone call to say? Excuse me, sorry. Is can there be a phone call yeah. to the wife to say? Because they makes obviously the distress call as as becomes apparent yeah can a call be put in to say so you know your husband's hit ship's been hijacked yeah and then you then you cut back so i, I think that's how i would have done it or even you could do it with the press like she sees it on the news yes i can being being a lover of certain cliches i would have loved the phone call um yeah. but yeah you're right you could have done it bang it comes up on the news breaking news because you have to imagine you you have to imagine be it being based on a true story and this being the first American ship to be hijacked in 200 years. Yeah. It would have been, I assume it would have been fairly big news. Which is wild to me because I remember a time which me as like a year 10 student was being told almost that we should be worried about Somalian pirates. Like it was such a thing that. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, you're so right. Oh, well, you had the South Park episode where they go over to, <laughs> to Somalia to be pirates because <laughs> they want to get the treasure. Oh, that's a great episode of South Park. Um, at sea, the, the early scenes are. I don't need that many shaky cam handheld shots. <laughs> there, there's no need for them. I understand yeah. you're at sea. We've seen yeah, the massive say, we, boats. Once you once you show me three long shots of a boat traveling in the ocean, I understand you're in the water. At the end of the film, I think it makes perfect sense every so often yes. just to tell me how intimate this space is and how just kind of make me feel like I'm in the boat with him. Makes perfect sense there. 
early on, I don't get it at all. At the end, when they're in the lifeboat, shall we doing it that way? I think it adds to yeah the claustrophobia. Exactly. And I do like that. It's very close. It's very close up shots. There, some are, some are longer, some are sh- like some are lo- long longer takes, are longer shots, like sort of longer lasting shots. And I do think it adds to, almost feels at some point like he's breathing next to you. Yeah. Um, uh, go on. Even if you don't think this is Tom Hanks's best performance, I do think he's unbelievable in this. Um, I think this I think is Tom Hanks is. is even the terminal, which I said I didn't like, I still think he's good. I still think he's very good in it. I think you see a certain level of versatility from him in this. I think he does get to flex his muscles at times. Um, we see the early scenes, like I said, are rough, but you genuinely see him with fear and emotion. Um, you see the side of him having to put on a brave face and be the leading guy when the pirates first take the ship. Um, I think he's just really good the whole way through. Um, there's a big thing at the time about him being snubbed by some of the awards of that year. And he's only as good as he is because of the cast he's opposite. Yes. None of the Somali actors in the film had ever acted before. Yeah, my brother told me that the other day. Yeah, an open casting call went out um, in Minneapolis mm-hmm. where they have the largest population of Somalis in the U.S., Yep. Um, Barkad Abdi, Barkad Abdiraman, Faisal Ahmed, and Mahmoud Ali, they were chosen for over 700 people that auditioned, which doesn't seem that many, I guess, in to, to find this range of this level of talent within 700 people. Yeah. Barkad Abdi, who gets all the acclaim after this, he only earned $65,000 for his role. I say only, but the level yeah, of yeah. the size of the film. Um, so, when it was complete, he went back to work at his brother's mobile phone store until he gets more roles afterwards. But hmm. the line where he says, I'm the captain now, that was improvised. That's probably, that took over the world for a while. Yeah, exactly. That was um, that, that, look at me, look at me, I'm the captain now. That was actually just a moment for... That was a a big thing for a moment. Greengrass uh, kept them apart, Hanks and the uh, Somali actors and the crew, just, as they say, to build tension, get things Mm. for when they're first on the scene together. Um, Got a question for you. Yeah. Tension, just to make it. Does a boat rushing through water, because do you know, obviously, the first time you talk about tense moments, it might be the the score behind it. It could, I've, but I think it's just because they're in the water, and the way this sounds so fucking stupid. Sorry, but the way a boat moves over water, I think it just creates more tension than if that was a car behind another car. Well, it, it feels like you're never making that much headway. Um, yeah, there's also I feel, no. It's, I, I realise for a podcast, it's, it's also stupid because it's very hard for me to explain what I'm trying to say to. What I guess there's no twists and turns really. There's no. Um braking and reversing and all these things that you would see in a normal car chase you are literally just relying on it's just watching watching like in a chase and there are other films where they have boat chasing but watching a boat skip off the water i always think i just i, I always a i think it I, I think it looks great and i do i quite like i've always liked boats 
Um, but when they, when they're chasing each other, I think it, maybe it's the level of movement. Joe in a car, if it's shot, yes, you do elevation in, like inclination and stuff. But it's it's always quite flat. It, there's something about it the way it almost the bow, especially in the little speedboats and the little skips, the way like the bow will dip under almost under a camera shot and come back yeah. up. It feels it really it feels as though it is moving towards you. Well, I think with some of it as well is. In a car chase, it, it's so easy for the cars almost to become the characters in that scene. Um, they're so often there's, on. There's so, yeah, obviously there's so much made of that. Yeah. With the boats and kind of the range of things that you can do in that situation, you are almost, it's the it's the people first before the boat, even when he's on a speedboat, which I guess is the equivalent to the car, the fast car in that situation. Yeah. They're still standing on top of it. They're still having to like be front and center rather than you getting these cool shots from the outside. Yeah. And then in Hanks's situation, they give you these few shots every so often where it's a, a wide one just to show you that they really are on their own here. And on top of that, he's he's the character. The, the boat, as I say, there's only so much you can do with it. So it's there to kind of look good keep moving the waves are doing more work than anything else in that situation they're more of the character in that sense yeah um he said uh Abdi, he said it's never an easy thing to scare someone you know and admire but for me it really was a nerve-wracking scene and i understood the weight of it it sounds like the director really just kind of revved him up. Like this is so huge. This is Tom Hanks. This is, this is big. You've got to be on your A game, all of this. And then some people just, when they're under pressure, their A game comes out. And for, for him to be a first time actor doing this is just insane. I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen him in anything else. You have. And I was going to ask you this. You've seen him in another film in this bracket. Oh, he is in, Good time, and he's the guy that runs the amusement park. Good time, the uh, Safdie brothers one with Robert Pattinson. Oh, so he's the guy they knock out. The yeah. the guy puts uh, LSD, I think it is, in his drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck so, yeah, no, this bracket's been going on for so long. I completely forgot I'd watch that. He does um, his first role after this. Um, is an episode of Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> and then things slowly come back, pick up. There's one of the other Somali guys in this, and I'm sorry, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Don't, don't know names between the guy with the beard. Uh, what, what were you going to say about him? Phenomenal. The the big one? Yeah. Yeah, he... His name is um, Faisal Ahmed, who plays Naji. Superb. He is so intense. Yeah, unbelievable. When he's got the pistol and he's moving and he's moving, and when they're he's trying to get him in the light, when he's trying to get him in the lifeboat, yeah. and he and then he's like, "Oh look, we're doing." When so when the Barker he he's gone and he's away, and it's just the three of them takes over. Honestly, steals steal scenes. Superb yeah. in this. Well, because so much obviously is made of um, Barker Abdi in this, and he yes. wins all the awards. And so uh, that's what took me in when I watched this again yesterday. Was 
okay, this isn't like one guy clearing the rest so much as like he's very good, but this guy is also like <laughs> Yeah. Uh yeah, and I but I do think I do think that as well. Like I know you're right, he did make made all the headlines and yeah, great in it, but I, like you say, it's not as though he knocks out of the park and the he, like he knocks out of the park and the rest of them are sort of walking singles. It is no, and he doesn't get the same level of commitment after so he does Captain Phillips, a film called uh, Astray, which looks very it's with Barkat again. He's in Sicario two, mm. and he's in a TV series called Castle Rock, where he's in six episodes, but not quite uh, blowing up off this in the way that uh, you may have expected. Mm. It's a very specific role, so but you could easily. You could you could easily make it work if that's his first role. Then, with a bit of direction, you could take him to the moon. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, you you're right. And even I mean, you say it's a, it's a very specific role, and yes, Somali pirate is very specific. But there's a lot of transferable skills in the world of film. If if you can play yeah. a Somali pirate well, you can play almost any any gangster or criminal well. Yeah, and the scene where they do eventually get on the boat is really good. Um, where yes. it dies down the first time and the one crewmate says, well, they're definitely coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And then little, do you know how raging would you be when the person on the other end of the phone is saying they're probably fishermen. Yeah. Oh, and he's strolling <laughs> and he's got an AK. They're definitely not in the fish. That that whole scene is is really good, and then when they eventually get on the boat, and everything that comes with it, the standoff with uh, the gun, and saying, "Look, tell me now," them saying about uh, call him Irish, yeah, and when he says, uh, "In the safe, we got thirty thousand dollars," and he says, thirty thousand dollars, what am I? Do I look like a beggar?" It's just really good. And then you've got the cat and mouse thing, which I think is a bit protracted. Yes, it is. Is is this that little is this spell is that spell there for for and it goes on it's probably what forty it's, no, it's it is probably thirty to forty minutes of it that I sort of got it lost me a little. My my memory of the film was that the lifeboat was such a small piece of it mm. that essentially he's on the lifeboat and I remembered it clearly wrong because in my memory, uh, they eventually get him to open up the door and he does a little bit to look out and he gets shot. And it was kind of as simple as that. It's actually an hour. It's, it's a two hour, 15 minute film. You probably got 15 minutes till the first uh, attempted takeover. Yeah. An hour. And then we've got the final hour is on the lifeboat. Hour to forty-five. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yes, Matt is is a is a big part of the film. And that whole thing, very tense, as we've said. Yeah. Um, I wondered how you thought this stacked up to other kind of one-place movies we've seen, um, and whether the constant cuts to the army detract from any of the tension you feel. No, because every time it comes back, I think the way it's shot in that lifeboat, because that lifeboat is is, is such a small space that 
in close and when you're enclosed it, it's easier I, I i don't know no so it's not easier but i think you do have the opportunity to create uh, to create and to feel more tension somewhat like it just even just in sort of everyday life someone shouting at you from 30 cent from a foot away or yeah. two feet away is far more tense than someone shouting at you from 25 meters away do you know what i mean it's always it's it's also starting to go downhill. Like this is the second hour of the dog day afternoon kind of levels, um, where you really do feel like when he's saying, "I'm going to kill you," even though did you know the ending of how this turned out already? Well, I knew the bloke didn't die. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even still, I think they do a good job. Like I know he's not going to die, but there's certain points where like, there was maybe wait, there's a minute. There is there was a there is a couple of minutes in it. In fact, just before. Just before the army take take their shot, and he's gone in the face, and there's all the shouting and all the screaming because there's again because they're so close, it, it works. There is a moment, and the way it's there's a score behind it, and the the, the volume sort of increase. It's almost like cut between them shouting and the little score behind it, and it gets a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. Very so it'd be very very often done, but it does always work. Um, I honestly thought they were going to shoot them. Well, they cut they cut it completely at the point where the execute command comes. Yeah, the score is cut completely. Love it. And yes, yeah, really good. It's the just, point it, goes, just it goes silent, and all you hear is boom, yeah, boom, the, boom, the boom, bobbing. Boom, like, I've got two in shot. I've got I've got two red, two yeah. <laughs> two red. Um, the glass in the feet that made me squirm more. Than I thought mm. it would, uh, just because I guess you can kind of imagine that easier than you can imagine your boat being hijacked. Uh, um, every, everything with this, I, I was going to ask you. Paul Greengrass said in an interview that he saw the Somali pirates as criminals, not terrorists, and that he wanted the story to feature their desperation and willingness to do illegal and violent things as part of the hopelessness of life in Somalia. I'm going to ask you if you could go back to 2012 and you've got the rights to this film Mm. do you think the film is better placed to do it from the viewpoint of captain phillips or from the viewpoint of the somalians Shouldn't there's something in that, like the the from the viewpoint and the the helplessness of them they've got their guy and them slowly realizing that They've been played. They're not going to get their money, and just the sheer helplessness of it. Um. Yes, I do. I do. I do, and I think you. I think you're on to. Think you're on to something. The only problem is, and especially in terms of an action, that is one fucking bleak film. Yeah, but it's like, like Dog Day Afternoon, <laughs> isn't it? There's a point where you know that any time. Yeah. Get me on the helicopter, and you're going to take me off to Brazil. Yeah, they're yeah. not getting on that to no, Brazil. No, no. Like, you might get on that helicopter, but you certainly ain't coming off the fucker. Because e- even with those same actors, like you, you feel bad. They do a good job of presenting both sides of this, and I, I, I do credit that. The point where uh, the big guy is having to say, "You're idiots. Like, we're not getting this money," and. The young girl, like the one who's like 16, is looking mm. like, what, what am I going to do? Um, when uh, Barkad's character says, I've come too far. I've got no choice. 
you could easily yeah. have done this with the same characters because there there are points in the film when it does become that Star Spangled Banner USA USA. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I say if I said in uh, King of New York, I'd have liked to see you know, the the police kind of suiting up, ready to go and do this heist. I kind of get what the Navy SEALs are. I like. I don't need six shots of them getting their kit on, gunning up all of these things. Like I, I understood it. Them parachuting out in the water, all of this. It's. Um, I think there could be really something if they'd done it the other way around. So do I. No, I hadn't. I hadn't considered that. I got to be honest. But I believe they bought the rights to um, Richard Phillips' book. Mm. And that's that's how they did it. So I that's guess where it came from. Um, yeah, I guess that's how they're doing it. Because the the ending, which is the point where I think it's as good acting as I've, I've ever seen from Tom Hanks, the where he's in there with the in the infirmary. Yeah, with that's a, a real navy. Uh, no, my brother. By the way, yeah, Tom, Daniel, yeah, Daniel Albert. Know. They uh, apparently they just said to her, "Yeah, you've just got to take him through an actual checkup." Yeah, and so the first time they film it, he's huffing to tell her that I'm supposed to be the one in shock here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think well, there well, are. I'd love to say I would not be starstruck by people, but there are people on there are people in this world that I think would just reduce me to not having a fucking clue what to say. And I do well, think Tom Hanks might be one of them. All of the people that play uh, employees of the army in this film were regulars from the army, and there no, was a, actual soldiers, not yeah. There was a deal oh. negotiated, so they were just classed as on call, like they received no extra payment for this film, other than the fact they're in a Tom Hanks blockbuster. They were just classed as on the clock, and so <laughs> that was the money they made. I don't know how hard it was for them to shoot it, so no, I can't, can't comment no. on it. But would you take that? I guess uh, probably. Tom Hanks if you, was, if if you Tom, said Tom to Hanks me now, was filming some of your work tomorrow now, like big man, we need you. Yeah, exactly. I'm stepping. We're in. not going to pay you, but we'll bang you in a few shots. I think you probably you probably swallow yeah. it, wouldn't you? Yeah, the the director told her to treat Tom Hanks like it was a regular military exercise, um, so it's unscripted, improvised, and just the way he presents shock because so so often the person saved you say they say you're safe now and we cut to two weeks later and they're mm-hmm. at home and they've got a cast on their leg maybe a bandage on their eye yeah and they're saying you know i'm just so grateful i'm just so grateful this when you see the immediate aftermath where he's screaming and he's got the blood on him and they're asking is this your blood and he says well not all mine yeah and you've it's... got the that compared with, he says, did you kill my friends? And they say, Captain Phillips is free. All of your friends are dead. And you even feel bad for him. And he's just taken over a boat and kidnapped. Yeah. So good. The acting from Tom Hanks there is as good as I've seen anyone play that situation of shock and everything. I, I, I don't usually get too emotional at films. And I've seen this film before. I was getting emotional watching that scene and I don't even know like what was what was prompting it other than it just being a very good performance. It really I thought if there was ever a point in which you could say, okay, you could take 10, 15 minutes off this film if you were gonna maybe 
downgraded because of that. The ending scene for me, like, swung it back around. Give me that shot rather than, like, him getting off the boat and his wife's running towards him. This just oh, felt yeah, so most, much yeah. more real, and it was so good. Yeah. So, contradictory to what I just said about the King of New York, because um, I said about it being a change in pace, that this film, but they, they are obviously different films, that this film kept the ending in fitted, sort of to, to keep it in line with the, the large majority of the film. I like, like you said, if if that is the next shot, is him at home or him in a hospital bed surrounded by with a report or something. I think everything you've just watched loses his impact, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it would, I actually think it would have just killed it off. Because yeah, it's you hear these same things about these films about you know it didn't glamorize it. I thought it was just incredible, a raw that just was the way they take out the hostages because that is a thing like a normal person in that situation isn't going to be cheering and saying oh my when they're staring at three dead bodies with blood pouring out of their head in front of them and they've got their blood spotted all over you're you. covered in blood when he just screams what was that well he's and he's wiping his mouth and all of these yeah. things and i was reading today there was some cinemas where people were saying this this whole film was ruined for me because there were people laughing. There were people laughing when he starts screaming at the end. And they were like, it was just like, I don't know if that's just what people's way of dealing with the like grief of the situation or the shock. Yeah, but just find, they might actually find it funny. For me, it was dead silent in the cinema for there. And I came out and had that feeling like I've, I've just seen something very good there. The kid I went with said, I'll be mad if that was a true story, wasn't it? And I thought, it literally says at the start, based on true events. Um, have you read have you read the criticism of it so i've got this here for you and anyone listening um the you the comparisons to real life is that what you're getting at uh yeah i mean i imagine yours is um yours is probably far more eloquent than mine but my summary was going to be basically your man's just full of shit well not the, the the main criticism is that he's actually just a dick and um, this could have <laughs> no, been no. really prevented. Um, so in real life, he was sued after the incident. Um, one of the crew claimed that Phillips was well aware of the danger in the Somali waters, but went in any way endangering all of them because he wanted to get the shipment to the harbour faster, even though the shipping company itself sent him a note advising him to avoid the Somali seas. And we get a small moment in the film, don't we, where they basically say, look, there's some piracy in these areas. And he says, well, we've got to get there anyway. We've got a job to do. Well, they, there's a bit in it where they talk about um, like avoiding, like moving off course. Like, yeah. oh, there's five, five gangs of pirates between here and there. If it's not these guys, it will be someone else. So, well, it's not necessarily true. Is it? yeah. It's definitely going to be these guys. It might be someone else. Yeah. It, one of the things in real life, they say something that they couldn't properly portray in the scene was that the interior of that lifeboat was around 38 degrees Celsius constantly. Jesus. With no windows open, very little water. And so you imagine just breathing in there when you've got a dry mouth and then coupled with the stress of the situation. Yeah. Um, he 
he described how uncomfortable he naturally is in extreme heat and how the heat added tension to the situation. Um, he said during his attempted escape, he noted that even though he knew he was swimming in shark-infested waters, the first feeling was just a great relief to escape the heat of the lifeboat. I get that, though. In real life, he never offered pirates to take or shoot him instead of his crew. He was held in the lifeboat for four days and was psychologically tortured by the pirates who even conducted mock executions with him as the victim. He never got any pen or paper during his captivity in the lifeboat. He never tried to write a farewell note. He didn't ask to go outside to urinate before attempting to escape. He saw from his seat one of the pirates urinating outside and used the opportunity to jump the lifeboat. His reaction of absolute shock after being rescued by the SEAL team never happened in real life. He was hit by what happened only after he tried to go to sleep for the first time after being rescued. A lot of the criticism, I actually don't know how the court case ended. Um, He said all of his version of events is that none of the crew had any issue with what he did until... It went wrong. Well, no, until he became a celebrity and he insists I didn't ask for any of the media coverage. I didn't go out there and make myself a celebrity. He says it was obviously a huge thing and I was followed after it. He said, I I pen my memoirs. I'll get my own side out there after what happened to me. But he says it was only then after the media attention that he thinks people saw an opportunity to, get in on the gravy train i so i get it i get his point my 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 counter to that would be yes they probably yes he's probably right you're making money and there's suing a suing someone with money is is, is often going to be more but more far more valuable than suing someone <laughs> yeah. without no yeah but the other point is as much as there is as much it, it you could make you make the argument it obviously he takes the worst takes the takes the worst of it but for the rest of that crew their life for for large parts of the film as we see in the film and so you assume the events the, the events that were there their their lives are in as much danger yeah this whole thing takes place over about 5 days yeah and i know he's captured for four of them right five yeah but for a day, there are people ready and willing to kill this the crew as yeah. much as they will kill him. In fact, what I don't again don't know if it happened in real life, but in the film, it's you've got a minute to come upstairs, or I'm going to shoot one a minute later. I'm going to shoot another a minute later. I'm going to shoot another, and then when we find you, we're going to shoot. Yeah, you. they they say they all kind of took to the deck of their own accord. That there wasn't a call over the radio saying you know hide down there. That was just what you're supposed to do. Yes. I agree. Um, yeah. The criticism is just that he basically ignored all warnings because he wanted to get things done faster. Mm. Um, but he says, I was doing what I was supposed to do. And so on. There's, he, he didn't ask me anything on Reddit where a lot of the questions are, can you basically just confirm that these accusations are wrong? And he says like little things like, look, from their viewpoint, they they may have felt that way. I felt that I was doing the right thing or whatever. So it's, it's hard to get a straight answer. But I think in that situation, you're going to look for someone to blame anyway. <laughs> I do. And I do. And in terms of he, he was well, the captain, I mean, 
there is actually just the phrase that the captain goes down with the ship. So he's always well, he's it, always going to be blamed. But the, as I say, the point I was saying about um the this the sort of the, the legal stuff and, and that after it's all happened, if you're one of the crew, you're like, yeah shit, there's a real big chance I was going to be shot. If you think if you think he's made a mistake as well. Well the thing where it happened the first time once he starts making money and publishes that book. Yeah. Because let's not let's not forget you're definitely being paid for that book. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Once, once someone buys it to make a film out of it, it's probably done all right again. I would, if you are like whatever trauma, however traumatized you are, I'm sure someone was just like, fuck that. If I can, if I can nick a, nick a bang note, I will. Yeah, a lot of the criticism was, as you see in the film, that they kind of get away the first time and they mm. have an opportunity to kind of put some distance between them. Someone does suggest that as well. Yeah. And he's like, you know, it's not going to make a difference, blah, mm. blah, blah. There must be a reason because you wouldn't like that. There, there, there has to be a reason that that would be what you'd say. I think he says about the engines, and he has to make sure that they're and they've just been overworked or something. I don't know. He 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 speaks about that. That isn't even the worst experience he's ever had on a boat. It's that there's a fire on a boat and he's had to go and use a hose while there's five dead bodies on the floor. And maybe just don't say what this guy. Mm. Yeah. Overall, if you um, had to do it as simply as uh, like the gladiator thumbs up, thumbs down, or if you had to say to someone you liked or disliked it, what was your overall take on the film? What, oh, like as a whole? If you if you quite simply had to boil it down to liked or disliked. Yeah, it's not really for me. So disliked? Yeah. Was it, so what ultimately was different to what you expect or did you not expect to like it? You just asked me for a simple answer. No, no. Yeah, no, you yeah just, just to get there. And, yeah, so I'm going to elaborate from there. Um, I didn't expect to love it. and found exactly what I was looking for. Is there something with you when it is a true story and so you effectively have an idea of the ending is that a write-off for you from the jump, or no? No, I don't think so. I mean, if... it's not for no. It is for some people as well. Yeah, no, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Not for me. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, if I was going to base on films that I've had the endings for 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 me, that not like yeah. Jesus, that'd be an awful long, awful short list. Because it's kind of like the equivalent of um, what we said with Limitless or something like that, where you're open with the, you're probably wondering how we go. What got in this situation? Like if you already know that how it's going to end, kind of thing is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, stuff based on a true story. We've done a few over the over our time, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and I don't. No, I don't think it doesn't bother me. Um, it doesn't bother me overly. I just I don't know. Just uh, there, there were a large part. There was a large part of the film that I was finding quite wanting. And don't get me wrong, I think there were great, brilliant scenes. And I think the scene in the scenes in the lifeboat, the last, especially the last sort of fifteen to, yeah, probably the last fifteen. I think think it's fantastic. The first fifteen to twenty, okay. Um, and so there, then there is a large part. There are moments in it that I think are very, very good. But overall, just not a lover. Well, let's get into the judging, and I do actually have it loaded up this week, which is a change. Mm. Um, which film did you prefer? Uh, King of New York. I prefer Captain Phillips. Fair enough. 
Which do you think is more rewatchable? King of New York. I actually think Captain Phillips. <laughs> what do you think is the best moment slash scene? Uh, it's the scene. It's the execution of the Somali pirates and Captain Phillips, and the three minutes before. I think it's the look at look at me. I'm the captain now, and that's also my pick for best quote. By the way, I don't know if you have an alternative. Yeah, it's the line in the jungle speech. My next choice would have been the uh, if you sell a what, dime bag or whatever. Yeah. MVP. It's got to be, got to be uh, Richard Phillips, huh? Yeah, I think by our traditional rules, because it's hard to go against. Uh, well, he walks away. He walks away from his exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, best side character. Wesley Snipes. It's probably my favourite. I'm not sure, not sure the best thing. The best maybe Crusoe because I can't. I'm not going to go Fishburne. I think. Just has too much. He he's my pick. If oh, it wasn't I, him, it would, it would be uh, Barkhad. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I, I, they are, I thought they he are, was too. They are, they are probably side characters. But it feels very harsh to call any of. If it feels very hard to call any of the Somali pirates because there's only four of them. It's not like it's a group of twenty no. side characters because they are the plot of the film. Yeah, I didn't think he was a side character, no. but I felt Fishburne um, was. I didn't know if you died. I didn't know. I was waiting for you to moan at me if I said fish. No, no. Jimmy that Jump, I think, answer. deserves something. Um, mm. Better character development. Um, uh, it, it's Frank White. I agree. Most dramatic scene. The lifeboat. Yep. Best soundtrack. Well, it's King of New York. But I agree. Do like the way Captain Phillips scored, and I do. Like I said, I do like the use of a lot of some of it. Same score used in United ninety three at the conclusion of that. Huh. Uh, United ninety three. Is that nine eleven? So they made two films about. They made two films about the hijackings, really close together. Yeah. <laughs> Which one's United 93? Do you know, I wonder if that's the one I've, is that the one I've seen. Not clear. No, I can't remember. Uh, originality. Say again, mate. Originality. Captain Phillips. I'm going King of New York there. Okay. Captain Phillips, the only film. Oh, no. No, no. Ignore me. But yeah, I, I, I do think so. Bigger impact. Uh, Captain Phillips. Yeah. Best opening scene? Uh, King of New York. Yeah. Best ending? It's Captain Phillips. Agreed. And best chemistry? King of New York. I'm going Captain Phillips there. Fair enough. That's a tight one. I think Captain Phillips has just edged it. Yes, you're right. 5-4 was the final score. So that is now down to three fixtures left for the round. Mm -hmm. 
Is it three or is it four? Four left. Four. Four left. Um, will we go in an order or that would be Public Enemies Gamora next week? Uh, yes, we shall. It's essentially, four in terms of runtime, I think there's like there's one that's shorter, the rest are pretty much the same. So, Public Enemies. I'd like to do a training day pod last if we can. Yeah, that's fine. Public Enemies Gamora then next week. Hopefully this will be out with you on a Friday. If not, it is not our fault. Thank you for listening. We'll be back. Adios.